Warning, the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that could not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there is the possibility that we may spoil any anime series at any given time. So please use caution in case you are listening if there is a series that you haven't finished yet. And finally, the opinions expressed belong to those of the individual participants, and they do not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Dub Talk, the podcast where on any normal day, we sit down and discuss the latest and greatest in English dubs. I'm Stephanie, and today's episode is, once again, a little bit different. If you didn't listen to our previous interview, back in November, a few of us attended Anime NYC. And one of the biggest things we got to do at the convention was we were given the opportunity to be part of group interviews with some of the guests. This is the second of three that you'll get to listen to today. Join Andrew and I as we rep Dub Talk, along with the folks from the Boston Bastard Brigade, Gemstone Publishing, Toonami Faithful, and Cartoon Cypher, as we sit down with one fantastic woman. You know her as the voice of Reen in New Game, Senko in the Helpful Fox Senko-san, and Tama in the Magical Girl Raising Project as well as the ADR scriptwriter for series like Magical Girl Raising Project and Kono Ototomare. That's right, we're talking to Kristen McGuire. Special thanks to Anime NYC for allowing us the opportunity to chat with Kristen. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This has been Stephanie, and until next time, otaku on my friends. So, I don't even know where we're going to start. How, does this, how well, does this work? You guys... I, um, I'll, I'll just they just dumped me
So I really like went all out with it um, and like really committed to coughing and like gasping for air. Like I, I have had bronchitis, which can lead to pneumonia. Mm. And so coughing like that, like it, I bruised ribs coughing when I had bronchitis. And I'm like, this is the kind of cough she has. And so, like, so I'm really going to commit to it. And uh, I think I actually bled in my throat a little bit oh, at the end no. of that session. But... But everyone tells me it sounds great, <laughs> and so hashtag worth it. But yeah, I'll just say it. I hope it'd be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, as long as you're doing better now, that's what matters. That's what T is for. Um, and Yay, T. I didn't have anything else to do after that session, so it was good. I could, I would say I would rest my voice, but I write scripts, so I actually went to my office and continued to write. Um, but yeah, so being part of Dr. Stone has been really amazing. I met the creators at this con. That's awesome. Um, it was really amazing. Uh, the con was very generous. I emailed them and I was like, I play Marie and I have a gift for the creators. Could you please arrange a meeting? Um, and so they did. And so I got to meet uh, both the writer and the artist. And I gave them each a drawing. I did a brewery. Um, and it turns out I am the first voice actor they've ever met from either Japan wow. or wow. America for, for Dr. Stone. And so that was like a really neat moment, and That's I just awesome. told him I was like really excited to be part of the show, and they loved my drawings. Um, Boichiro, Boichi. I was like, I'm like combining their names. Oh no, edit that uh, part out. Retro <laughs> Inagaki is the writer, and Boichi is the artist. Yes, and uh, but Boichi said that he thought my drawing was better than his drawings, and wow. I was like, no way, <laughs> no, no sir. Um, but they, so they were very generous and wonderful. Um, but yeah, so that is what it was. It's been a really great ride. Would you call yourself one of the head writers at Funimation? You worked on. Oh no, I'm not a head writer. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Um, um, I'm a script writer. I've been a script writer for four, probably like four years. So, but I've done everything. I've directed and written and acted. So. I do want to talk about the writing aspect real quick sure. since you brought it up. Um, as as a writer and as someone who has studied both English writing and Japanese extensively myself, I know how wildly different these two languages are. Mm. Um, so I'm curious if you could sort of explain what the challenges are when it comes to English localization of Japanese scripts. Uh, the biggest challenge, of course, uh, each show is different. Some shows require you to stick very closely to the translation. Uh, Love Life Sunshine is like that, and so we stick very closely to the translation. There's a lot of terms the licensor doesn't want us to change, even if it doesn't necessarily makes sense um and so we keep it because that's what we're told to do and then other shows like high school dxd hero is free reign and you can do literally whatever you want um and so i have to adapt my writing style per show um to match uh the director's uh opinions and then the licensor's opinions and that's really like the challenging part is, is changing the style of voice for each show and making sure that like if it's a serious show, then I'm treating it seriously. And if it's a funny show, then I'm treating it with humor. Um, and we all have our, our strengths. Uh, mine is slice of life. I get a lot of slice of life because I write very naturalistic dialogue. Um, and then I, people say I have the best meme humor because <laughs> uh, I spend a lot of time on the internet. So uh, if it is appropriate, I will put meme humor into a script, but not all shows uh, do well with that. Uh, the biggest problem is that uh, the way Japanese language is structured compared to English language is very different, and of course the flaps are pre-animated, so I have to write to these pre-animated math flaps, and uh, a lot of things they do in Japan is they pause a lot in the middle of speaking, and so they'll say something like, you know, ito, ohayo, gozaimasu, 
So then I have like all these flaps that are separated by pauses, but if I say, well, good morning to you, <laughs> then we sound like William Shatner. <laughs> um, and so, so I have to rewrite that to sound like a more complete thought, but still honor that animation. And if the animation has very specific math flaps, like um, Love Live was really good about this, but they'd be like, oh, hi, oh, and then like they'll have this big old oh mouth shape. So I can't say good morning because that ends in an upward, like, closed mouth kind of sound. So I would have to be like, what's up, guys? Because guys is a more open sound. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are all things that we have to take into account when writing for English. And then still, um, you know, keeping true to it. And then, of course, the other biggest problem is that a lot of people don't know is that in subtitles, when they translate it, a lot of times the translation is much longer than what will fit on a subtitle screen, so they cut out things they don't think are important. It'll be things like uh, in Pono Oto, the translator is really good about saying things like, hey, this is the full sentence, but due to uh, only being able to fit so many characters on a screen, I shortened it to this. So instead of saying like, this is all the high schools in this prefecture that are participating in this tournament for the Koto, it'll say, all the high schools are participating in this tournament. And so all this other information just isn't there now, even though that is what is said, because they can only fit so many lines of dialogue onto, onto a subtitle. The problem with that is, is I still have all the flaps for all those things that are not being said. Mm. And so I have to fill those flaps without filling those flaps, if that makes sense. So I can't be like, oh, we're all gonna do this tournament for the Koto, and after this, we're gonna go get ice cream and go to the arcade because that's not actually happening. So I can't add those things uh, because that's not true. And so I have to find ways to, what we say is like put filler into it without making it sound fillery. So instead of being like, I mean, well, the thing is, I guess we could maybe go to this tournament. You know, I can't say all that. That sounds silly. People don't talk like that. So instead, I'll write something like, well, here's an idea. We could do the tournament and that's the one that all the high schools participate in. I'm like, cool, now I've filled three sentences of flaps for this one line of translation that I had. Yeah. So that is the biggest uh, hurdle of being a scriptwriter is constantly, you're playing Tetris with words um, and you're trying to, uh, I don't know, it's like looking into a cabinet and figuring out where to put all your groceries and all right, shuffling thanks. things around. <laughs> yeah, no, I have something. Speaking of scripts that you've written um what series have you had the most enjoyment in adapting into english uh i mean high school dxd was a lot of fun i always say that's some of my best writing which is a shame because <laughs> because it's such a weird show and uh i'm like man my best jokes are in that show and i can't show it to my kids <laughs> <laughs> um it also depends on who you're working with. Uh, there are definitely directors that I get along with really well. That It really feels like a collaboration when we work on a show. Yeah. Uh, when I worked with Clifford Chapin on that time we got reincarnated as a slime, we worked very closely on it and we like would bounce ideas back and forth, like even outside of work. Um, so it was very much like, this is a collaboration between us and you know we are improving on these jokes if we think something is funnier and things like that. And then there are other times that I don't talk to the director at all. And so I just do a show and you know, maybe that show's not my cup of tea, but that's what I was assigned that season. And so it's still my job to make it my best and yeah. do the best for yeah. the fans. Um, but you know, that one's more of a job and less of a passion project. There are definitely passion projects and then yeah. there are assignments, yeah. so. Actually, on the matter of that, I had a quick question just because you very much seem like somebody who's excited, enthusiastic about what you do. 
Uh, when it comes to like actually looking into the shows you're working on, how much like research do you put into like a project you are assigned? Do you actively go out and seek the source material, some of this stuff, or do you personally prefer to go in blind? If the source material is there, I will absolutely 100% read it. It is important. I need it. I need it to know everything that's going to happen so I don't write something that will bite us in the butt later. Mm. Um, Magical Girl Raising Project, Astra were all shows that had pre-existing source material that I felt like it was really important. I could not have written the character of Charles without knowing where Charles ends up in Ostra. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so I had to be very particular about how I wrote Charles and how I wrote certain things. And, and I would leave notes so like in the manga, uh, this happens and this happens. And same thing with Slime. I'm like, this is important because of this thing. So if there's source material, I always read it. Even if I'm not super interested in it, I yeah. want to read it. Unfortunately, sometimes we get shows that don't have licensed source material and I can't take that seriously because it's translated by a, like a fan and I don't know that what they're translating is accurate because mm -hmm. it's not going through a licensor. Uh, Kono Oto is like that and ah. so I'm very much in the dark most of the time on that show. So speaking of Kono Oto, um, was it kind of difficult to adapt scripts for that since like Kotos aren't really a common western instrument? Not really. Um, some shows tend to be more Japanese than others in their in their context, um, and in those cases, we just approach it as in, if you're watching the show, it's because you're fascinated with Japanese culture. So, we believe a lot of the Japanese terms like in Japanese. Um, there are some shows that are more for American audiences that sometimes we'll try to make that more localized. Uh, but if it's something like Kono Oto, we just stay true to the source material, and that is a show where they prefer to stay closer to the translation and things like that. So like, since like uh, it's not officialized as the manga here, do you get like notes from the Japanese side about what that needs to be kept in mind? When sometimes I'll get notes from the translator. It depends on the translator, uh, because sometimes our translation comes from Crunchyroll, which comes with no notes. It's just literally straight translation. Um, and then if it's done in-house, um, then we'll get notes from the translator that's like, this is what this thing means, and that's generally very helpful if it's available. If not, we have Google. <laughs> so. so, um, you mentioned Magical Raising, Magical Girl Raising Project. It's my and, favorite show. Uh, Just that uh, spoiler <laughs> alert, my heart broke for Tama after uh -huh. that. So, what was your reaction to the series as it just kept getting darker and darker, and then seeing what happens to Tama right there, like, near the last episode. Uh, well, here's the thing about Magical Girl Raising Project. I was actually set to assistant direct on that show with Sunny about a year before we actually directed it. And so we watched the show to prepare directing it. I was assigned to write it as well at the time. Mm -hmm. We did all that. We we binge watched it. We're like, this is such a good show. Like, this is so good. Like, I'm, I'm like, this is a great show. We're going to have a great time. We set our cast, which I will not say who it was because that never happened. And then at the last minute, we lost the license to it, and that show was lost to us. And I, I was heartbroken for that show because I loved it. I was 100% about it, and uh, then we got Kigakide, and we worked on that instead, um, which is still a wonderful show, and I loved working on it, but uh, I felt like Magical Girl Raising Project was my lost child. Mm. And then a year later, we managed to get the license for it again, and I heard it was on our list, and I went to our supervisors, I was working full-time as a writer at that point, and I begged them to let me write that show. I was like, I've already watched all of it, I've read the light novels, I was like, I love this show, I was supposed to assistant direct on it, can you 
can you please let me write this show? And they let me because it made sense. I'd already seen it all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, Jade ended up directing it, and she did auditions, and I auditioned for it. Uh, and I thought, if nothing else, I'm really happy that I'm getting to write this show because it's so important to me. And uh, I always liked the character Tama. Um, and that was the one character we never set in our previous cast that I won't talk about. Um, but I always thought she was a really cool character, and I auditioned for her, but she's not a character I typically get cast as, and so I wasn't really sure about what my odds were. Um, and then, like a week later, Jade came in, and she was like, hey, you're playing Toma, and I actually cried. Aww. Because I was so happy, I was so happy to be part of the show. Like It was like my lost child that had come back to me. And uh, so I was so excited to be such a, a character that I adored. And I was sad for Toma, um, and what happened with her, but I like that Toma was a good person through and through, all the yeah. way to the end, because there were so few of them. She did nothing show. wrong. By that was, the, that was the thing. Yeah, and she, uh, I wanted her to be like the last survivor, <laughs> just sitting in the corner, well, and be like, "That's what why happened? she couldn't." I actually made a comment on that in a prior uh, podcast I had done, like went not judge, <clears throat> um, where I actually felt like if it was something like a Dong and Ropa thing, I felt like Tama probably would have been one of like the final five or the final six or something. She like lasted a lot longer than I think anyone anticipated. Yeah. Um, and I was grateful for that because, you know, there were characters that didn't make it past episode two. And so I was like, yeah, I get to be in most of the series. Um, but just I just wanted to sleep. Magical Girl Raisin Project is, is my passion project. And when people go, what's the favorite thing you've ever worked on? I'm like, you probably haven't heard of it, but it's this show. And yeah. this is my favorite. And I love it. And I will always love it forever you, until I die. You've never met a five-year-old character you just wish would die like swim swim. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> um, now, you've been doing um, all sorts of stuff in the anime as far as writing, directing, voice acting for mm -hmm. several years now, and I'm curious to get your, your thoughts as far as um, how things have changed either at, at the microphone or behind the microphone over the last few years. Things are faster now. <laughs> things are much faster now. When I started voice acting, um, simul dubs did not exist. Uh, everything was done what we call DVD style, and uh, you would go in and you would work on one show, and uh, for however many hours of recording you had, and then you wouldn't hear anything for a couple of months. Um, when I started voice acting, it was pretty common uh, back then to do a session, you know, once every couple of months, you know, if you were lucky, every couple of weeks. So when I started, I got called in about every two months. And uh, if I got called in twice in a month, it was a great month for me. I was really excited. Um, and then when we cast Assassination Classroom, I found out I was cast in that. That was one of, at the time it was like three or four, it was like the third or fourth show we were doing on this like broadcast dub that was only four episodes behind. Mm -hmm. Now we're same day or two episodes behind, so it's even faster. Um, but it was the first time I was ever told like, hey, don't go out of town for 22 weeks. And I was like, 22 weeks of work? Like, this is amazing. <laughs> um, and so as an actor now, I'll see a lot of new voice actors come in and, and they'll be like, man, I haven't been called in like, two weeks and I'm like like oh sweet summer child like talk to me when you've gone four it's like if only you knew if only you knew how it used to be but I think in a way like coming coming from this old school way that we did things into this new school way that we're doing things this faster way I think it makes 
a lot of us who have been there longer a little more grateful for the way things are now. Um, we could talk about roles immediately. Gosh, when we dubbed Nichijo, I was like, I can't remember the last time I had to go months without talking about a role. Like, I'm so used to being like, I'm cast in a week, I'll talk about it. <laughs> you know, and, and now, you know, Nichijo was like, we recorded that last year and like it didn't come out till, you know, about halfway through this year. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, I can't wait to talk about Hanukkah. And I was like, this sucks. I forgot how much this sucks. That must have been <laughs> such a challenging show because it went like undubbed for so many years. Yes. Mm. Uh, it did. I mean, I just acted in it. I didn't do anything else with it. Um, I feel like that would be a hard show to write. Uh, luckily, I didn't have to do it. So. <laughs> God bless Howard Wang yeah, for doing something that um, dirty, yeah. yeah. Shows like that are always a collaboration between the writer and the director and everybody involved in making it work. Um, I think that was also a J-dub, right? Yeah, that was yes. also a J-dub. Yeah. Mm. And uh, it was... We actually recorded that after Magical Girl Raisin Project. Um, and so it was weird to be like, whoa, we could talk about Magical Girl Raisin Project, but not Nichijo. Um, but yeah, so so things are much different now. Uh, they're much faster paced, uh, and you have to be able to kind of keep up with that pace. But you're never bored. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I write two scripts a week, oh, wow. which is a lot. When I first started writing, it was very common to do one script a week. Um, and you know, back then it was either DVD style, so you could watch the whole series, or uh, it was broadcast subs, so there were like four episodes ahead. Um, now we're like two weeks or same day, so it's a little bit different. Um, but I, I like being busy, so I like the pace of things the way they are now. And like I said, there's a lot of work. We're doing a lot more shows. When I started, I think we were maybe working on like three or four shows at a time. Now we're doing eight shows at Funimation so there's a lot more work to go around so it's I feel like it's a little bit easier to be a voice actor in this day and age than it was six years ago when uh, competition was really tough competition is still really tough but uh, there's a lot more opportunity and so it's easier to you know a few seasons ago I was in five shows at one time and that was a lot for me, <laughs> but it was great. I loved it. I was like, man, I have so many announcements this season. I was like, this is great. Like, I'm adding a lot to my resume. Um, speaking of a show that you did a simul dub for this past year, probably one of my favorite slice of life feel good shows, The Helpful Fox Senko-san. Oh, yeah. So, can you tell me a little bit about the mindset of when playing such a warm hearted <laughs> and very caring character? Um, I fell in love with Senko right away. Uh, the show, they basically send us lists and they say, give us your top five picks. Uh, Cinco was not my top five. Uh, she was like in my top five, but she wasn't like my, my number one. I think we lost the number one show I wanted. Um, sometimes we'll get lists that aren't like, these aren't set in stone, so don't get too attached. Mm. Um, but Cinco was one that I liked. I love Animal Girls. Like, it's my all-time favorite thing to play. I think they're really cute. I like writing about them. Um, I just like the way they look. I like drawing them. Uh, so I was like, yeah, Fox Girls. I will draw, or I will draw Fox Girls. I did. I did draw <laughs> Fox Girl. You can buy a Cinco print. Uh, I was like, but I would like to write about it. And it seemed like a cool thing. And I'd done so many isekais at that point that I was like, I am burnt out on isekais. And I, that was like my only note that season. I was like, please, no more isekais. Yeah. Ironically, it was the reverse for that show. Right. I guess, yeah. Um, yeah, it's called the Yashike. It's <laughs> um, but if you follow me on Twitter, then you know that I am generally a very positive person and I try to spread a lot of positivity because the internet is mean 
and I don't want to be the mean person, and so I try to be like, I'm so sorry, that was me. Um, I try to be the, uh, a place where people can come and like give some positive feedback in their day, or um, you know, sometimes you need someone to like believe in you. And the thing about Cinco is she's like, there's this dark, this darkness, and the more sad you are, like the more this darkness spreads, and the more it affects other people. And I'm like, and that's not wrong, you know, because it is like that when you're around somebody who's negative or sad. You feel that, mm -hmm. and when you're around someone who's positive and happy, you feel that. And so I immediately like connected with Cinco as a character, um, and so I was really excited to write this show because I really liked what it stood for. Um, and then we did auditions, and I auditioned for it, and uh, I thought, if anything, I was like, I'll probably be like a good fit for Shiro, because I play Spaz characters really well. <laughs> uh, or Koenji. I felt really good about Koenji. I felt okay about Cinco, but I was like, that's not... That's not my voice type. I don't play a lot of Cinco characters. So when I got cast as Cinco, I like ugly cried. I like <laughs> ugly cried and like thanked the universe. I was like, thank you, universe, for this gift. I'm gonna make the most of this, I swear. Um, so I was really, really excited to play Cinco because I, I really liked what she represented. Um, and I'm a mom, and so I take care of people all the time. Uh, and I cook, and I clean, I'm a pretty decent cook. Uh, my boyfriend can't cook at all, so I cook. I do all the cooking. So a lot of things about Cinco about like when she says things like, "Well, pick something for dinner," and he's like, "I don't know." And she's like, "That's the hardest request to fulfill." I'm like, yes. "Man, true story. Am I right?" <laughs> oh, I was like, "Big mood, Cinco." Um, so a lot of a lot of Cinco was just me drawing on my own maternal instincts, and I've taken care of people since I was 21. So I've been doing it a long time. Um, but Cinco has to sound youthful. But also motherly, so there's a there's a really in between tone with her that she can't sound like a child because she's 800. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she can't sound old either, and so it was a very delicate line we walked with Senko. But people seem to really like it, so I think we nailed it. Yes. All right. So, as you mentioned yourself, you're a parent, and so I had a curious question just because I am. An uncle, my ki a kid, my a nep nephew, my brother, yes, my brother's kid. <laughs> Thank you. I forgot the word nephew for a second. <laughs> he, I'm eventually, whether my brother wants it or not, I'm eventually going to show him stuff. So I was curious, as like a parent and stuff, how would you go about introducing certain shows to that to like younger audiences, and like when do you think? This is okay. It's a little tricky. <laughs> I feel like I'm the worst person to ask because my kids have been around anime so long. They watched Assassination Classroom when they were like six. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can see Assassination Classroom, but I'm actually curious myself. Like, have you ever had that interesting th inkling of I want to show oh my kids all the stuff I've worked on, and you have to sort of. I have shows that I I have to sit down. Um, my twelve year old loves crime and gore and bodies which is so weird because if you know me that's not me at all and so she is like my opposite um she's 100 percent her own person which is great uh so she went in to watch attack on titan when she was 10 and i was like no ma'am there's a lot of gore in that so she waited till i was not there one day and then logged into funimation and watched it. <laughs> um, and so I was like, well, now the damage is done you've already seen i mean the first episode is so gory to start yeah. off with i was like well I guess you're gonna watch this now. So if I do get cast in something that I'm like, I'm not okay with you watching this, I have to like sit down and I'm like, no, ma'am, you cannot watch Goblin Slayer. Oh. <laughs> like, you cannot watch this. I don't want you to see this part of me. Uh, so I do have to draw like hard lines. Um, 
but it's I guess it just depends on like what your family is okay with um you know like uh, i used to love watching things like snow white and the red hair and mm. show by rock which are like very friendly like happy bubbly shows um my 10 year old loves that stuff my 12 year old's like when can i watch tokyo ghoul <laughs> <laughs> um so it's it's very much based on what your family's okay with and you should not take my advice at all. So <laughs> that is my advice to you. So what you're saying is I should show him high school DXD. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I had a I had an eleven year old come up to me at a con recently and I was like, I loved high school DXD and I was like, How old are you? And I was like, Andrew, your brother <laughs> Oh you did that. Oh I would deserve it. I was like, you should be watching that show and her mom was like, What show? And she goes, Shh I'm like, Oh gosh. Uh, I'm I could honestly see like showing him like Doctor Stone or something down the road. Oh yeah, my Dr. Kids, Stone yeah, is my kids watch Doctor Stone. Um they they watch My Hero Academia, mm-hmm. you know. I feel like depending on how old your nephew is, like there's sh- there are shows that are definitely like kid friendly, mm-hmm. you know. So I guess it just depends on what you guys think is kid friendly in your house. Yeah. <laughs> Understood. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, um, maybe one that could be kid friendly, but uh, it's a great um, great kind of um, I wouldn't call it a slice of life, but maybe cute girls doing cute things, or rather, cute girls doing amazing things. New game. Yeah. <sighs> We watched, we watched New Game. There's been a lot of New Game love at this con. Mostly yeah. from the Dub Talk people. Uh, <laughs> yes. Got you. So you expect more of it. So you play Ren, who is kind of Koyagami's second in command, both at work and mm. even as practically as a life partner. So I wanted to know what some of the challenges were when it came to bringing a natural dynamic to her and Ko, uh, even, especially if you had the opportunity to work off of Michelle's performances when she played her. I typically recorded before Michelle, which is great, because I left her a lot of really dirty bombs. Oh. <laughs> um, she's really easy to make laugh, and so anytime I had the opportunity, I would I would do things like that, um, because it would really mess her up. Uh, but Rain was a challenging character uh, for me, because again, I play a lot of spazzes, or at least at that point, I played a lot of spazzes, like Cecil from Gothic and things like that, like really high energy characters. Mm-hmm. So playing a character that was like so put together and level-headed was hard, and I remember leaving like the first two sessions, and I'm like, this director's gonna regret this decision. And like, I texted him, and I was like, do you regret this? And he was like, what? No, shut up. And I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, I just feel like you do. I was like, because I feel like I'm really struggling. Um, but once we got settled into it, like it, once we found Reen, um, I feel like it went really well. And Reen was very easy once I got to know her and figure out like what makes Reen tick and things like that. And after that, it was, it was much easier and She's a she's a great character and she's kind of like the office mom. So again, it's not like yeah. anything I haven't done. <laughs> um, I'm kind of the office mom now too. I'm like I have Tylenol if your head hurts. <laughs> so. Are you like me, like wishing that Pekka was a real game? I do wish Pekka was a real game. I'd play it and fairy stories. Yeah, yes. oh, they're adorable. <laughs> um, I thought Pekka was such a great idea. I was like, why doesn't this exist? I'm so sad. So I'm kind of shifting gears a little bit from writing and acting. What was it like directing Citrus and Gamers? Oh my gosh, well, I love it. Um, I love directing. Directing is actually my passion. It's where I would like to end back up eventually. Yeah. Uh, I just started recently assistant directing again. Um, kind of, I'm what we call a subdirector, which means when people are sick, uh, I cover for them, which is great because now I have to know like 16 shows. Um, so I have subdirected on uh, 
Ensemble Stars and Black Clover and uh, Konooto this season, uh, which is great. Uh, Konooto I write, so that was easy enough. (laughs) Um, But directing my own shows was was scary, because I'm like, man, if this fails, it's my fault. (laughs) It's because I didn't cast it right or or something like that. Gamers... um, Gamers was about people that gamed, and so uh, I game, but I'm not, I'm probably not as serious as some other people. Um, so I tried to cast people I knew that played games, so that if something came up that was game-related and I didn't know what it meant, someone could explain it to me. <laughs> um, and also Patrick Seitz wrote it, yeah. and uh, he mm. would leave tons of great notes. His writing was phenomenal on that show, and so he would leave notes and things like that that made it uh, easy to work off of. Um, but the cast, uh, casting is fun. It's my favorite part. I think it's most people's favorite parts. Um, it's, again, it's like playing Tetris. Um, I wanted to use Brandon McInnes and Gamers, but at the time he hadn't done very much work at Funimation, but I thought he had a great mm-hmm. voice. And I'd worked with him on Skigakide and a little bit on Live. Yeah. And he's very easy to work with. He's very much a people pleaser. He's got a great positive energy to him. And if you're going to yeah. surround yourself with someone for 12 straight weeks, um, you should definitely do someone that you like being around. Yeah. Um, Brandon's a good guy. I've actually interviewed him in the past. Yeah, he's a he's a wonderful guy. He's a phenomenal actor. He's a stage actor, a phenomenal singer. Um, and so I was like, hey, I want to cast you in this. Would you be up for this? And uh, he was like, yes. And my only concern about gamers was that Keita was played by a girl in Japan. And I was really afraid that he was going to be a girl like halfway through the series. <laughs> um, and so I, I actually asked Brandon, I was like, can you read the light novel? Because he speaks fluent Japanese. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I was like, can you read the light novel and let me know what you find out? And he was like, he's a dude. And I was like, okay, well, good. Uh, you're cast. You're <laughs> safe. We're gonna you're that. safe. Um, when we got to episode six and they go to the pool, I was like, oh, thank God. <sighs> now we know for sure. Um <laughs> But, so Gamers was fun. It was my first time working with Brittany Karbowski on such a a large level. I'd worked with her on very small, like, bit parts, but she was so friendly and so, like, happy to be there that I was like, yes, I would like to work with you for a long time. Um, And now we're really good friends because of working on Gamers together. Um, So it's always neat to work on a show, and it brings you closer to actors than before. Um, Citrus was a whole different problem uh, because it's about lesbians who are stepsisters. Um, and even though it's a show that a lot of people would expect to just be uh, a fan of a show, we wanted to treat it very seriously because, you know, it's still, it's still approaching very serious feelings, um, that a lot of young women go through. And so it was one of those things that we took very seriously. We read a lot. I read the manga before we, before we even did auditions so I could tell people what the characters were like. We did a lot of background work on May to figure out why May was the, the way she was. Mm-hmm. And that really helped when we directed Amber and things like that. And when you figure those things out, everything else kind of clicks into place about yep. why people act the way they act. Why is Matt Surrey such a butt? Like, why is May a robot? Um, and once we figured out like, why are they doing these things? Uh, then it all it all came together and it made it very easy to direct and everyone in, in Citrus was as passionate about the project as I was mm-hmm. and so that made it very easy to direct because we were all there wanting to do the same thing which is like let's give representation if we can yeah. Um, so yeah so it was great I had a lot of fun directing those shows I mean, great casts and crews on both of them so I miss it but those are my babies yeah. my show babies I still get 
gamers merchandise sometimes at cons. So there you go. Yeah. Cool. I think they just finished the light novel in Japan recently. Yeah, they oh, did. Yeah? Maybe we'll get a second season. It would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I is will hold my like, breath for it. Is there anything coming out soon for you that you are legally allowed to tell us about today? I feel like I, I usually immediately talk about it if I can. Um, so, you know, there's nothing that I can't talk about that I don't already know. Uh, Fire Force was just announced. Okay, um, yeah. My character in Fire Force. I get to be a boy. Because um, that's normal. <laughs> uh, so Fire Force was like my latest thing. Um, there is something coming up, but I can't talk about it yet. Um, but it'll probably be announced within the next couple weeks or so. Um, I'm really excited about the second season of Slime. If Ooh, we yeah. get it, I'm always a little wary. Yes. After Takagi. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So I try not to get my hopes up until we, I know for sure we've actually licensed it. But uh, I'm excited about that because I hear it's going to get pretty dark. So, plus I want to be Malim again. Yeah. A bestie. <laughs> Besties for resties. <laughs> so, uh, Fire Force and Dr. Shuttle both, both currently airing on Tanami. Mm -hmm. So I was just curious if you had any like uh, experience with Tanami like, growing up or... Something like I mean, absolutely. Uh, I watched I watched Tsunami growing up. Um, you know, I watched Outlaw Star and Cowboy Bebop and Dragon Ball. Wolf's Reign was one of my favorites um, that I was really into back in the day. Um, so yeah, I watched Tsunami. It is it is really weird to me to like be on TV. I turned it to my parents. I'm like, this is a big deal, and they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> that's nice, um, dear. They're like, that's nice. We bought you this anime shirt. It says anime, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> thanks, guys. Um, they are really supportive, uh, but you know, they they're not anime fans, and so uh, they did come out to a con though recently. Their first con ever. They came out to Colossal Con and watched me sign people's stuff all day. So it was great, and they got to see my hero panel. Um, that's cool. But it, it is really cool to be on Toonami. And I was not expecting to be on Toonami as much as I was this year. Because uh, up until now, like, my biggest experience was uh, Nakagami and My Hero Academia. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm like, and now I'm reoccurring characters in both these shows, like, back to back. And uh, I was like, that's really neat. Um, because I, I haven't personally had that experience until this year. So it's been a really good year for me. I'm really grateful. Thanks, universe! As far as where the industry is going forward, is there anything that you're cautious about or hopefully optimistic about? I mean, I'm optimistic that anime will only become more mainstream. Uh, I feel like it continues to grow and reach more people every year and that people take it more seriously now than, than they ever have uh, before. Um, you know, being cautious, I think, is just learning and growing and adapting to the way we're doing things now and, uh, you know, just trying to make sure that we're always staying true to a story when maybe we don't necessarily have all of those puzzle pieces yet. If, if, there, if there is no licensed manga or anything like that, it's just trusting your writer's intuition of like, this might be important or, or things like that. Um, I'm writing Kemono Michi Rise Up this season, which is about wrestling pet shop isekais. Um, <laughs> and there's a character in the beginning named Mal, and uh, he doesn't say anything, but I, I remember telling Jeremy Inman, I was like, hey, I'm pretty sure Mao will come back. I was like, Mao is what they call demon lords a lot in isekais. Um, that might be important. Like, I was yes. like, so I was like, I don't think it's a coincidence that that's his name and you should play it on him coming back. There is no uh, available translated licensed manga. I could read it illegally, but I don't like to do those things. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just an instinct. And then sure enough, like an episode 
like five or six, you know, he comes back. And I was like, I knew it. Like, I knew he was going to come back. Um, same thing with interviews with Monster Girls. Oh. A lot of times it's just like keeping track of things you think are important. In the manga, uh, Hikari calls people, she gives them nicknames. She says, Machi. And like, Machi has like two A's in it. I think, in the manga, and I was like, why is this like this? Why does it have an extra letter in it? And Machi says Machi. And it sounds normal in English, uh, and so I went to Jade about it, and I was like, I think this might be a nickname thing. I was like, I noticed she does it with Yuki and Machi and the teacher. I was like, this might be important. And I had nothing to go on other than, like, I as a writer think this might be important. And we sent it to the translator, and the translator came back, and she said, yes, this is a nickname thing they sometimes do in Japan. However, there's no way to translate it because it sounds the same to us English speakers and it's a very subtle thing. And so we had to do like machikens, uh, yukikens. And I was like, I just feel like it's gonna be a big deal and if we don't have something in place now, we're gonna regret it. And sure enough, episode four is all about Hikari giving people nicknames but not her teacher. And if we hadn't done that in episode one, we would have been in big trouble in episode four when that happened. So I think with the way things are now, we just have to be very cautious and very aware of every little thing in a show and know that like maybe every little thing could be a very big thing um, and just kind of being attuned to those things. But I'm, I'm optimistic that it's just going to keep being great. <laughs> Does collaboration with the Japanese side help with that? Can you point to any examples where they say, hey, this is important, just keep that in mind it, moving forward? It depends on the show and the translator. Um, a lot of times, if that info... We are getting a lot of uh, translation terms or licensing terms now. Uh, with Slime, we got one that was like, these are things you're going to see a lot uh, as the show progresses, and these are their names, and these are moves, and these are people, and these are locations. So those things help having those official... They're called official terms lists. Um, so having those things available helps a lot with, with writing, but not every show has that. Um, so it's one of those things where, like, sometimes it requires a lot of research on the writer's part. We are the unsung heroes. But, uh, because we have to catch those things all the time before, uh, before they make it. In that time I got reincarnated as a slime, uh, there was an error in a translation that I caught, uh, and it was actually pointed out, uh, a fan pointed out online. In the Crunchyroll subtitles, when the lizard men are talking about the uh, orc army, in the Crunchyroll translation it says, that's two times our size. Which to me says there's 200,000 orcs, that there's either 100,000 lizard men living in that tiny swamp, or that the number is wrong. And so I looked in the manga, and the manga said, that's 20 times our size. And I was like, that's a totally different number. And then I looked in the light novel, because I read both uh, to write that show. And it said that, it didn't say that exact line, but there was a different part where it said that the, the king, or the lizard man chieftain, uh, ruled over about 10,000 lizard men. Was this the thing you tweeted about, how like every source material had a different thing? Yes, every source material had a different, a different number. And so I wrote three alternate lines, they're called alts, and it, I was like, I explained it to the, the director. I was like, so it's either this thing the Crunchyroll says, this thing the manga says, or this thing that the light novel says. And so once he got that information, he sent it to our translators, because again, the translation came from Crunchyroll. 
he sent it to our in-house translators who double-checked it and listened to it in Japanese, and it was 20 is what they said in Japanese, mm. but it was translated incorrectly on Crunchyroll. But as a writer, it's my job to catch that stuff if I can, and it's not always super obvious. Like, the only reason I thought about that is I was like, there's no way there's 100,000 lizardmen living in this swamp. Like... I was like, that's not even that bad of a number. Those chances are bad two times. That's not that bad. You could do that. <laughs> and so it was only, again, like my instinct as a writer and me being like, maybe this is not right. And at that point, I was able to address it. So a lot of times it's just about being like, why does this stick out? What should I do about it? Should I look into it more? Things like that. Um, so there's it's a lot of writing is the most work out of everything. <laughs> it is the hardest and the most work. Imagine um, going for writing again. Which adaptive script did you have the most emotional or personal attachment to? Magical Girl Writing Project. So <laughs> that was the answer. <laughs> uh, that was my baby. Uh, sometimes we have to um, contract out scripts if it's like a holiday week. They'll contract one out to um, a writer like Matt Shipman. Um, and they always come to me and they're like, so, uh, which show do you want to contract out? And like, anytime they tried to do Magical Girl Raising Project, I was like, please no. I was like, no, it's mine. I don't, I don't want anyone else working on this. Um, same <laughs> I've thing waited with, for so long. Same thing with Slime. I knew so much about Slime at that point because I'd read so many of the light novels and the manga yep. that like, they didn't want to contract it out to anybody because I knew the most about it. Uh, so they're like, we should not contract out that one. Like, Konohoto gets contracted out a lot. Um because uh, of the way it fell at the time. I don't remember what I was writing now. That was two seasons ago. Anyway, I've slept since then. But it's just one of those things, like sometimes it falls on deadlines and things like that. And, but there were certain shows that were like, this one's mine, and we don't want to contract out this one. Yeah. So. Um, you just mentioned that you had worked on interviews with Monster Girls. Mm -hmm. um, what I loved about that show is that the series could work as an analogy for kids who have special needs and mm -hmm. disabilities. And I was wondering if that ever came into play when you were adapting the script for that series. It's definitely something we thought about and talked about. And uh, not just me and Jade, but like Terry Doty and I talked a lot about it. Um, and so it is something that we talked about. I've always thought Machi was the coolest character because I felt like she had to overcome the most out of all of the monster girls. Like oh, yeah. everyone else is like, we look pretty normal. But, you know, like, Machi's got a head that she has to carry around. And, like, obviously yes. that comes with a whole bunch of different obstacles. But I liked it because it felt very um, empowering, especially when Machi goes and uh, studies at the, the laboratory and she gets to meet that scientist. And she's like, I really want to, like, I want to become a scientist and, and study Dullahan's and things like that because I can't say no if I, if I do it on myself. And I just thought that was really cool, you know, because it's like you saw this moment where, like, Machi found what she wanted to be. And that being a Dullahan like never held her back from chasing those kinds of dreams, and so I thought Monster Girls was really cool in that, that way. Monster Girls also talked constantly, and so there were times I hated writing it because it was nonstop dialogue <laughs> yeah. all the time. And as a writer, you're like, man, I'd kill for a fight scene. Um, <laughs> so I could save some time writing, but uh, Monster Girls was it was a very challenging show. It had very challenging flaps, and there were there's just a lot going on with it. But it's a show I'm very proud of. All right, um, let's try something a little different, a little abstract here. Let's, a little more fun. A little more fun. That's what you're looking at. That's what I'm at, thank you. There you go. Um, so, you've played a number of characters in your day. Yes, um, I assume so. <laughs> so let's say you got the chance to hang out with three of them, go out to lunch, all three of you chatting 
All four of you, actually. You yourself are in <laughs> oh, this I'm place Oh, I'm here. Well. Okay, cool. You are with three of these characters that you are played. You're going out to lunch, having a good time with them. Who would you want to take to lunch and why? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, definitely Malim, because that would be fun. Probably also a lot of work. Uh, Senko, for sure. She's going to help me rein Malim in. Um, if anyone can do it, it would be Senko. Um, and let's see, a third... Oh gosh, third character. What about Ren? You need somebody to get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Ren does more than just get drunk. Okay. Fair enough. Um, let's see. Cinco Malene. Who else? Maybe On. I feel like On would be a lot of fun. Oh, right. Yeah. She is technically an adult, so she I wouldn't feel adult. weird about it. <laughs> I wouldn't feel weird hanging out with her. Um, Anra, I think, would make for some great conversation. So. Anra was a very interesting character. I she was fun. I remember going through that show recently, and that must have been a... How much did you know going into that one about the stuff with Anra? Um, not, not a ton. Um, I knew that she was actually an adult, and uh, something you guys pointed out in your... your your review of it was that uh, her voice changes... Uh, from when she's pretending to be a kid to when she's actually an adult, which is something we actively went for, so I'm glad you noticed it. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, we had to play her very differently um, in the beginning versus in the end. So uh, I knew more about it. I watched ahead when the OVAs came out because I was really interested to see how it was going to wrap up and things like that. And I was really excited for Ahn's big scene um, because we always talked about like that was her kind of speaking for the audience yeah. and that it was really important to get it right um and so we did that scene a couple of times uh, until we felt like we had done the audience justice um but yeah it was fun she was a troll um and it's always fun playing across from josh when i get the opportunity he's a fun person to play across from mm -hmm. so and then we got to do it again on demon lord retry so oh yeah <laughs> completely different characters very different uh, who would you say you relate to the most out of all the characters you've played? Ooh, uh, <laughs> oh, anime. <laughs> um, I would have to say probably either uh, Reen or Cinco. I mean, obviously I'm not a magical fox, but I do a lot of cooking. I take care of people. Unless you are. <laughs> Unless, am I? You can be um, anything you want to be. <laughs> my, we watched... Cinco. This is a fun story I like to tell about my 10-year-old. We watched Cinco. Like me, she loves animal girls. Um, and we were watching, and she goes, I wish, I wish Cinco were real. And I was like, excuse <laughs> I was like, first off, for you, Cinco is real. I was like, I'm the voice of Cinco. I cook for you. I take care of you when you're sick. I do your laundry. I clean the house. Like, I hug you. Like, I do all this stuff for you. I was like, I am Cinco. Where's your fluffy tail, though? That's exactly what she said. <laughs> she goes, yeah, but you don't have a tail. <laughs> I was like, is this my, this is my fault? Um, so I do, I do relate to Cinco very much. Um, I guess Bailey's not going to, and she's sad I don't have a tail to fluff. Um, and then, like, Reen, because like I said, Rena's very... Uh, there are a lot of parts of Rain that are like me. Uh, I like to think I can hold my liquor better, but maybe I can't. Maybe it's all a lie. We'll never know. I won't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep some trade secrets. <laughs> That's right. right. I was about to say, like, hey, we're in the middle of Manhattan. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> three, two, one, go. <laughs> oh, 
Are you kidding me? No one ever gets drunk in New York. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, jumping on what your daughter had just said, let's just say that, you know, you had your own Fox DVD waiting at home for you after each long day at work. What would you ask of them to help uh, ease the burdens of the day? I would ask them to put away my laundry. (laughs) 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 Uh, If I could get it out of the basket that it's been sitting in for the two weeks, clean, mind you, that would be great. Um, And then probably dinner. I love making dinner, but I am sometimes I work like twelve-hour days, so like going home and and cooking is like, I was like, uh, I order a lot of DoorDash. <laughs> that, that was me with my old job because I recently got a new job, moved down here. Like I worked 10, 12 hour days and someone's like, I just don't want to do a thing. Yeah, I, I understand. Uh, I order a lot of DoorDash to work uh, mm-hmm. and then I order a lot of DoorDash sometimes to home. Sometimes I grocery shop and then order DoorDash. <laughs> sometimes I order my groceries online so I don't have to waste time grocery shopping. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of stuff like that because I'm like, time is money. Um, you gotta you, do what you gotta do. When you do three different jobs, uh, you do whatever you can <laughs> to save time. So I'm like, you know what? I can order groceries at work and schedule them to be delivered when I get home, and then I don't have to stop and shop for an hour. So, so another interesting question, because I know we were talking about Magical Girl Raising Project and how it almost wasn't a thing, and then it came back. We can't use that as an answer anymore. What's one anime project you really wanted to work on but didn't have the chance to? Oh, I guess a Snow White with a red hair. Um, oh. I love. Yeah. I one fairy tales are my jam. I love fairy yep. tales. I love like retold fairy tales. It's like my favorite thing to read that like is not anime. Yeah. Um, and I love Snow White with the red hair. And I thought that it was a great show. I did audition for it. Um, I did not get cast at the time, but I got called in for Walla. But I got called in for it while I was scheduled to be at a convention. Mm. And so I never got called back in for it. And so I was like, I didn't even get to be Walla. Um, and so that was always one that I, I kind of lamented that I was like, I was not available. And when people call people in for Walla, it's kind of like they give you like a general list of people they want to hear. Yeah. Um, and you're just there to fill in like bit parts or background noises and right. crowd noises. So it's like if I give them like six people and the first person can't make it, they just move down the list to the next person. So it's not like they're like, oh, we'll, we'll wait for you, Kristen. No, it doesn't happen that way with Walla. Unless the director specifically says like, I need this person because they have one line as their named character. So then they'll make sure that person gets in there. But if, if it's just general Walla, you get whatever you get. Sometimes you can give a list of six people and they'll come back and they're like, we need more names. And I'm like, where is everybody? <laughs> Don't you want to be an anime? Um, so then you're like, have to come up with more names. You're like, ah, who haven't I cast yet? Uh, this person. Um, yeah. So that's that's how that works. But uh, yeah, so that was a show I, I really liked. I also love Show by Rock. Again, Animal Girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's my jam. So anytime there's an Animal Girls show, I want to be in it as an animal girl. Kind of piggybacking off of that one, uh, have you ever seen like something that being subbed that you watched all the way through or something on like Crunchy, Crunchyroll, Hulu, anything like that where you're like, I, this would have been a really cool thing to work on but you just didn't get the chance to? I mean, yeah, um, I, it's not so much subbed. I, I love Sword Art Online but you know, that's an LA show and so the odds of being in that are, are very slim. Um, so that was a show I really liked. Uh, I watched uh, 
My Little Monster subbed, and I really liked that one. Um, yeah. And I don't know if that was ever dubbed. It was not. It was not. Yeah. Um, so, but, but that was one that I, I thought was really cool. I really liked that one. Um, I like the Slice of Life shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I like shows about cute girls a lot because I want to draw. <laughs> if you have yet to watch it, I highly recommend checking out Laidback Camp. Yes. Oh, yeah, that one looks cute. I actually uh, watched that show with my niece. She's like two years old, but she loves it. Sometimes really? I'm afraid I'll watch it and then get sad if if it gets dubbed by a company that I can't work for. Uh, or it's not that I can't work for them, it's just like the odds are very slim. Um, so sometimes I, sometimes I get scared to watch things and like get attached. Um, I don't want to care too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't want to. I was so convinced that if Magical Girl Racing Project went to a different studio that I wasn't going to be able to watch it. I was like, I can't. I don't care if it's the best dub ever. I can't watch it. It should have been mine. <laughs> um, but I'm glad. I'm re- I really like the Magical Girl Racing Project we have now, even though it's a different cast and everything. I, I really like how everyone sounds, and it's really interesting. It's neat to see a few of the cast members were the same. Again, I won't tell you who, but uh, there were three cast members that we cast that ended up in the exact same roles uh, when they auditioned for it. And so it was really interesting. I'm like, oh, great minds. <laughs> um, so... But I'll never tell. You guys will just have to guess. Trade secrets. <laughs> NDAs. <laughs> that too. <laughs> that too. Am I purposely trying to toy with you, or am I legally obligated not to tell you? You'll never know. You decide. <laughs> so, I think we are coming to the end of our okay, a lot great. of time here, but um, I didn't have any I just want to thank you for spending an hour with us. Yeah, yeah. This, the sentiment is shared. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, talking. I Absolutely. like that you guys have so many writing questions. I feel like nobody cares about us. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, well, what voice can you do? That's a real shame. <laughs> That's why yeah. I'm, I'm glad a lot of us are of similar mindsets and are very yeah. interested in the process. It's always nice to talk yeah. about it because I just want people to know how hard it is. It's so hard. <laughs> to write, yeah. to direct, it's not just about it's, sounding good, it's about. The, there's the thinking process. There's yeah. a million things that go into it, and sometimes I lurk on the dub Reddit, and uh, oh. I say I say lurk, um, and there's so many people that's like this thing, and I'm like wrong, but I can't tell you that. Like I can't say anything. I'm just like wrong, you're wrong, and they're like, how do you know? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's. I can't believe this Malim besties for resties person is trying to tell me all that. <laughs> what do they know about slime? Um, I want to talk about that really quick before we go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, slime is an interesting world because, of course, the only person from that world that we know of are like the kids and Rimuru and things like that. And in the Crunchyroll subs, they say besties. And they start off with besties. She's like, we're besties. And I was like, but Malene wouldn't know what besties means. That's not a term that exists in this world, to my knowledge. There's also a baseball joke that we wrote out. And someone asked me once, I said, why did you write out this baseball joke? And she goes, seifu, seifu, in Japanese. And she's like, so it's good. It's all good. I said, why did you write that out? And I said, because to my knowledge, baseball does not exist in this world. Mm-hmm. And that is why I wrote it out. Um... But the besties thing was like, I was like, well, Rimuru would say besties, but he's not the one who brings up this term. And so I had her say, like, she's like, you know, we're best friends. And then when he talks to everyone, he's like, we're besties for resties. And that's how we snuck besties in there without Ah, having Malim say it first. So it's not a huge victory, but I felt really good about my fix for that. Well done. Well done. I was like, we did it. We got slang in there. 
without making it about someone who wouldn't know what the slang is. Right. So, there's a lot of things we think about uh, with isekai shows, mm. depending on the director. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for your thank time. You. Thank you so very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been great.